Uh, on Thursday, I just got back from a 10-day trip in Israel. It was my first time ever going. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to try to cover some of it because I've already had like 50 people stop me and ask me how it was going. It went great, okay? The trip went awesome, and I'm very grateful. I got a call about a month ago asking if I would like to go on this trip, and about 90% of this trip was going to be paid for, so that was already a half-hand raise. And, uh, but obviously, I had to check in with my wife. She's seven months pregnant. We already have two toddlers in the house. And she looked at me. She goes, you better go before the third one comes. So if you're going to ever do it, do it now. I said, you're right, babe. I'm going to listen to your voice. And so, you know, I was, uh, had the honor and the privilege of going uh, on this trip. And, you know, I think most Christians, it's on your bucket list to be able to walk the streets that Jesus walked, to be able to go in the places that we've read. And I'll tell you, the, there was a lot of things. I, I mean, I think I did everything. Uh, it was like drinking out of a fire hose, like all the stuff that we were going through on a regular basis. Um, and it was exhausting. By the way, Jerusalem is not flat like Illinois. It is a hilly country. And I don't know how they did it in Sandals, but I know that there was not one fat apostle because there is a lot of walking going on in Israel. I walk like six to seven miles a day. I'm pretty sure I lost a few notches on my belt, which praise God for that. But, um, <laughs> you know, but I think part of why I got a chest code is because we literally went all over the country. We, went, we were in the mountains of the Golan Heights, overlooking the Syrian border to the Mediterranean Sea, to the Dead Sea, to the Jordan River, to uh, all the way in between. I was in the Gaza Strip. I was in the West Bank. I was literally all over the place from desert to, to snowstorm. Um, and I'm pretty sure that messed me up, plus a lot of circulated air. And it didn't help that every other pastor on that bus was coughing half the trip. And so if you hear me coughing in your ear periodically throughout this message, have mercy on me. I'm just trying to drink some water. But um, <clears throat> I really wanted to communicate what God has placed on my heart for you this morning. And, uh, and I'm going to try to not be that guy over the next few months that every little thing I say is, well, I was in, when I was in Israel, you know, blah, 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 blah. Because uh, those people annoy me after a while. Uh, I'm going to try to tailor that. But really, like, being able to see with my own eyes the typography, the geography, the, the actual landscape of what I've always read in my Bible was huge. And uh, just to be very clear with you, a lot of things that they take you on in tours in Israel, they say, we believe this is the place. We can't tell you for sure, but we think we kind of, you know, maybe might be this spot. The only spot that I really got to experience that was like, without a doubt, Jesus was here was uh, we actually got to go into a live archaeological dig where they've discovered right outside the Pool of Silo steps that lead up to the Temple Mount, steps that 100% Jesus would have walked and had walked on a number of occasions. And there was no tourists. There was our private little tour because it's a live dig, and we got to see all that. And that was impactful. But I remember as I was looking at my itinerary, even before I left, I'm sitting with my wife looking at stuff, and we were joking. I'm like, I'm going to cry here, and I'm going to cry here, and I'm going to cry here. And I kept pointing all these places where I was going to cry. And I'm going to be very honest with you. I didn't. It's only one moment that I got emotional. And I think part of that was it was just taking everything in. And there was so much going on. And there were so many people. And we were kind of going, going, going. So I didn't really have time to just sit there for a while. But the one time that I did get emotional was the one moment we had where we just got to be in the moment. And I'm going to touch back on that a little bit later in the message. But if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open up to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19. Let me give you a little backstory of what's going on here. I want to talk to you about the prophet Elijah. That was really cool. Like the Old Testament really comes to life when you're in Jerusalem and, and they're showing us like 
it's, it was funny. At one point, they're like, that's, that's Mount Sinai and that's Mount Hermon. And you're kind of like, yeah, that one, right? Well, there's a lot of mountains. So I don't even know which one they were really pointing at. That would be like us going, oh, and that's this building. It's like one of a billion buildings. So I just kind of nodded and smiled. I was like, oh, that one. Um, but the truth is, as I was reading that, I was reminded of the story of Elijah. <laughs> and in Elijah, uh, right before, in Elijah chapter 18, if you haven't read the story, Elijah's a phenomenal man. He's a prophet of God. And he, he is incredibly empowered by the Spirit of God. And, and he does miraculous things like, for example, he prays that there's not going to be any rain. And for three years, there's no rain. I mean, that's a bad dude if your prayers can stop the rain. Uh, and then at one point, the nation of Israel had really just diverted away from God. Uh, they, they were prone to this, and I think we still are today, to allow your heart to drift to foreign gods. And so the foreign god at that time that a lot of the Israelites, even among the leadership, began to worship was a, a god, a false god named Baal. And so, you know, there, all these people began to worship. They end up developing their own prophets and their own thing. And then here comes Elijah in chapter 18. And he's like, you know what? God is done with this. I'm going to show you that there's only one God and his, he's the one true God. And so he challenges the prophets of Baal. He says, you know what? You create an altar and I'll create an altar. And you call on your God to light your altar on fire. And I'll call on my God to light my altar on fire. And we'll see who's the real God. Right? And so the, the prophets, they bring all their stuff and they start calling on their God and nothing's happening. And I love how like incredibly confident Elijah is because he's straight up mocking them. He is trash talking the prophets of Baal. He's literally making fun of all of them. Oh, where's your God? I, I guess he ran out of firewood. And, and like, he's just going at him. And then he goes so far as to get even more cocky because when it's his turn, he's like, hold on, let me make this a little bit more challenging. Right? I'm not going to dunk on a 10-foot rim, raise it up to 12 feet. Right? He says, hey, wet the altar. Because wet wood, you can't light on fire. He says, wet the altar. And he puts jars of water all over the altar. And then he calls down for fire from heaven. And the Bible tells us that a fire so powerful raged down that not only did it burn up the calf or the cow, but it burned up the altar and it sucked up all the water and dehydrated it instantly. And then he gathered the 450 false prophets of Baal. He calls on the people of Israel. He captures them and he kills every one of them. Right? Like, bad dude. Right? This guy is amazing. But then something happens in the next chapter. Something interesting. I think part of what happens is he stops listening to the voice of God and he starts hearing other voices. Matter of fact, I titled this message Voices. And part of it we find in 1 Kings 19. Look at the Bible. <coughs> Verse 1 through 4 right now. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel, these were the leaders, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, I'm gonna kill you, Elijah. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Think about this. This man just killed 450 false prophets. He called down fire from heaven. He prayed and the rain would stop. And one threatening letter from a queen causes him to fear, causes him to run. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to the broom brush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. 
He does these amazing, immaculate, powerful things for God. And the next moment, he's literally suicidal. Go down a few more verses. Verse 9. The Bible says that, just in between, that the Lord, instead of rebuking him and yelling at him, he comforted him. He let him have a nap. He brought supernatural food, bread, and water, and he told him, rest up, because there's a journey ahead of you. And then he walks him over to a mountain. And it says, there he went into a cave, verse 9, and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elisha? You ever had those moments in your life where God's looking at you going, what are you doing? Where are you? How'd you let it get like this? Why are you so far away? What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. I want to talk to you about voices. I think there are voices that are constantly speaking into our lives, voices that we need to ignore and voices that we need to tune into. And if you're taking notes, there's a few things that I've noticed here. And the first one is this. We got to be careful listening to their voice. Well, who's their voice? Jezebel sends a message to Elisha, and instantly he becomes filled with fear and suicidal. And again, I just want to preface, like, this is not some weak guy. This is not somebody who hasn't experienced the move and the power of God. Literally, a chapter before, this amazing move of God with fire raining down from heaven. And then right after that, he prays for the rain to come back. And after three years, the rain came back. I mean, this is someone who has walked in the mighty authoritative power of God. And he gets a letter, not even an in-person. It's not like he's captured. It's not like he's in a dungeon. It's not like he's immediately threatened. He gets a letter from a queen who says, I'm going to kill you. And now he wants to die how quickly things can turn when we listen to their voices. Don't underestimate what some of their voices can do to you. What are their voices? Their voices are those critical voices that still echo in your ears. You know what I'm talking about? Some of them, listen, some of them weren't even meant to be that damaging, but there's a lot of therapists making a lot of money because of their voices still ringing in your ears. The verbally abusive voices. You're just like your dad. Just like your mom. You'll never be like your brother. You'll never be like your sister. Why are you this way? You're so fat. You're so skinny. Why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? How come you're not doing anything with your life? How come your kids are like this? How come you're just all these voices, people's opinions. People love to give opinions, right? I mean, Twitter and, and social media is filled with people's opinions, as if we want them. But because of this whole world and society that we live in, people feel free to just say whatever they want to you, regardless of how you feel. Those negative voices that are constantly telling you you're never going to amount to anything, you're never going to grow and be anything, or what you are is, is embarrassing and it's shameful. The hateful voices. I remember one time 
On our own social media page for our youth, we had uh, Pastor Evelyn had spoken at the youth ministry. And, you know, social media goes out and anybody can fall into that algorithm. You would not believe the amount of hateful people that were talking really horrible things because she's a woman and she's a pastor. And literally demeaning her, her physical looks, demeaning her stature, just like, they don't even know her. These are just strangers, just trolls on the internet that feel like, well, now it's my opportunity to talk down to somebody that I will never meet in my life. Now, thank God, Pastor Izzy called up all the youth and all the teenagers and said, hey, bombard Pastor Evelyn's post with nothing but beautiful things. But just because you hear a lot of great voices doesn't mean you always can ignore some of those bad voices. Listen, and even if it's a stranger, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's people we really love. Sometimes it was your mom and your dad. And again, I'm not saying it was always bad, but I don't think sometimes parents understood how it came across. I remember, and I've told this story in the past, and I don't think my dad meant anything bad by it. <clears throat> I had always done pretty well academically. And I remember one time I came really excited to show him my report card. I had gotten straight A's and one C in handwriting. Now, I ain't gonna lie, I write like I write with my left foot. Thank God for typing now. But I just got, I just got sausages for fingers. I could never write well. And so I got a C in writing. I remember I showed my report card to my dad and my dad goes, he goes, this is okay. He goes, it's like this table. It's all clean. And there's a big pile of crap in the middle. He said, clean up the crap. And I just remember in that moment as a kid, I remember going, I will never try again. Because what's the point? I did great in everything. I should have told him, hey, you know what, pops? 15 years, nobody's going to write anyways. <laughs> That's not even going to be on your grades. <laughs> They don't even teach cursive anymore. I, mean, I was ahead of the game, baby. <laughs> I joked, but it didn't mess with me. I remember a friend of mine who had trouble reading when he was a kid. The teacher made him wear a sign that said stupid because he couldn't read. Second grade. I remember another friend of mine in second grade. I'm sorry to all the teachers. I'm not, I know you're not all like this, but I had another friend in second grade. Again, he was struggling. He actually ended up having some learning disabilities, but the teacher called him stupid. And in second grade, he got up and said, I'm not stupid, you're stupid. And he left. He went home. I was a six-year-old. I just went home. <laughs> I'm like, man, I didn't know we could do that. We could just go home. <laughs> and listen, in the moment, it doesn't really feel like a big thing. And, and sometimes we think it's funny, right? Because especially in some cultures, like we make up nicknames based on your biggest insecurity. Right? Gordo, Flaca. Ugly, big nose. Like, we just come up with, the, like, whatever we pinpoint your biggest insecurity. Like, let's call you that forever. And we laugh about it. Ha, 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 ha. But on the inside, it was never funny to me. Right? And so these voices create these emotions, create these mindsets, create these uh, just ideas of who we are. Sometimes they're not even negative. Sometimes they're just overly demanding voices. Voices that are telling you, how come at this point you haven't reached this level and you haven't done that thing? But listen, we got to be careful about listening to their voices because their voices don't always matter. Proverbs 12 verse 18 says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. There are one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Luke 6 45 a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
You know what I've discovered over time, and I don't many of you probably understand this now. When people speak hatred, it's not because of me, it's because of the hate in their heart. That's a you issue. You're taking it out on me. And I've seen it, and I've seen plasters, I've had it done to myself, who have, you know, you gotta blame somebody, I guess. I've seen people curse out Pastor Carlos. I've had it happen to me. I know some of the other pastors have had it happen to me. And we're not even in the situation. We didn't even do anything. But we're trying to help you. And we all know the adage of hurt people end up hurting people. And so listen, rather than get upset and rather than allow their negative words or their hurtful words to land and find a place in your heart, remember, it's not your heart that's damaged, it's their heart. If anything, have pity for that person. I feel bad that your projection on me is so negative and so harmful. And I pray for you because I think it's how you look at yourself. It's not just how you're looking at me. Listen, Jezebel had her own issues. Those weren't Elijah's issues. And so we got to learn to ignore their voices when their voices aren't honoring God's voice. Second thing is this, because the truth is, it's not always their voice that's your biggest enemy. Sometimes it's your voice. Sometimes your voice is the most critical, is the most negative voice in the room. <laughs> what happened to Elijah? <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. In other words, he's saying, man, I've lived for God. I've done all these things for God, and now I'm about to die. In other words, Elijah thinks that because I've done right by God, you're not doing right by me, God. I've done all these things, and now you're letting somebody threaten me. This is a discouraging voice. This is a voice that feels like you earned something, that you deserve something. I've done right by God and now I'm in danger, so what's the point? And like we've all gotten there, right? We've all had those moments where you're saying, man, I've done all that I can and people are still coming at me. What's the point? Why do I keep trying to live like that? The Israelites rejected your covenant, he says, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. There's his defeated voice. I did all these miracles, I preached all these things, and yet, God, they're not listening to me. So what's the point? You know, a lot of what your voice is trying to do is get you to stop, is get you to quit, is get you to not try anymore. And then Elijah goes on to say, I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. See, often your voice isn't just defeated, it's lonely. And it tries to convince you that you're all alone. That's what I loved about this song we were just singing during worship, right? Hallelujah, I am not alone. One of the greatest lies we speak over ourselves is that you're all alone, that nobody cares. Well, listen, later on, the Bible tells us that God has set apart 7,000 Israelites who had not bowed down to Baal. So Elijah's not alone. As a matter of fact, right after this chapter, Elijah goes and he anoints Elisha to be the next prophet. And so he's not even gonna be the only prophet anymore. But when we convince ourselves, when we speak that over ourselves, and we always speak the most negative to ourselves, we always act like we're the only one ever going through whatever we're going through. No one understands. No one's ever gone through it. It's just me. I'm the only one. It's a pity party of one, and I'm throwing the best party ever. We convince ourselves because if you're isolated, it's easier to feel sorry for yourself. Because when you start to notice that somebody else is going through something, somehow it doesn't feel so bad anymore. If you've had a friend who spoke to you, listen to this, if you had a friend who spoke to you in the same way sometimes you speak to yourself, how long would you allow that person to be in your life? 
Think about that. Think about some of the things you say to yourself. And if you had a friend speak that to you, how long would they be your friend for? I saw a video one time. I was going to play, but it was just, it was a lot. But it always really, really impacted me. It's an interesting exercise. They brought two best friends in the room and they had them write down the most negative things they say about themselves. And then they swapped the cards and they read it to each other. And the emotion that would come over when you hear it out loud from someone else to the point where they didn't want to read it anymore because like, this isn't true, but it's what you feel about yourself. It's what you've convinced yourself. But listen, Psalm 139, verse 13 through 18. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Do you understand the sinfulness behind demeaning what God has created? About bad-mouthing what God has put together? Listen, if you come and you tell me my kid's ugly, them's fighting words. Now listen, they might be ugly. I don't think they are. I mean, some ugly people got kids, I guess. Mine are gorgeous. But you might think that. I don't care about your opinion, though. They're mine. And I don't want my kids thinking that about themselves. And in the same way, your heavenly Father has knit you together, every part of you. You know that eye that hangs a little bit lower? God designed it that way. I don't know. Maybe he was being creative that day. He just decided, hey, Joey, I'm going to make this a little bit rounder than most people, but you're going you're gonna to enjoy it. Somebody's going to like it. Trust me. And she did. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Listen to this. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. You know what? He didn't make you wonderfully perfect. Because what even is that? It's the complexities of things that are so beautiful. It's the fact, I mean, do you ever notice how big of a show-off God is? Like he could have just made every snowflake the same, but he said, you know what? That's boring. I'm going to make them all different. And he could have made all of us look exactly the same, but he said, you know what? No, because you are unique. I'm going to knit you together and I'm going to make you complex to the point where maybe other people don't get it, but they don't need to get it. I got it. It says, your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. It's a little braggadocious of the psalmist, don't you think? He's looking in the mirror and like, God, you did good. <laughs> oh, I know it. <laughs> you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And listen to this. How precious are your thoughts about me. Oh God, they cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Let me, let me hone in on that. You know why your thoughts don't matter as much? Because God's thoughts about me. Listen, how precious are your thoughts about me, God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. You know, just speaking as a parent, and my wife can attest to this, I am regularly and continually expressing how precious and beautiful my children are. Not just physically, 
but in every way, shape, and form. Right now, my daughter's favorite thing, and even while I was in Israel, every day I got a, either a video or a FaceTime whenever she pooped in the potty. <laughs> whenever she peed and she pooped, she would call me. All she wanted to do, right? I, I got to tell Poppy. And she would FaceTime me, and then as soon as I get on, she goes, Poppy, I went pee-pee in the potty. And you know what I would do? Yeah! Great job, baby girl. Was it a big one? It was a big one, Poppy. Wow, great job. Why? Because I want her to know her father is proud of her. Even if it's just going pee-pee and poo-poo. Listen, when you got to clean up the pee-pee and poo-poo, you are really proud of them. Like you're like, thank you, Jesus, that you're going in the toilet because your solids are getting really solid. <laughs> and in the same way, do you realize that God celebrates even the smallest of things that you do? God, I read my first chapter in my Bible. Yes! Awesome! Great job! God, I've gone three days without looking at porn. Yes, come on, I got you, let's go. God, I made it twice to church this month. Yes, come on, you got this. Like, do you understand that all of heaven celebrates even when one person gets saved, that everybody stops and celebrates the salvation of one individual? You act like these victories are small, but they're huge in heaven. And what I love about God's thoughts about you is that they don't stay as an inner monologue. God not only thinks it, God speaks it. Because the only way to drown out their voice and your voice is to be in tune to God's voice. The third of the thing is that, oh, we got to learn to listen to God's voice. Listen, God tells Elijah to stand on the mountain for God's presence is about to pass by. He's about to have an encounter with God. And I think we've all been in those moments where we just need an encounter with God. Where I just need the presence of God. I just need to hear his voice. I need the assurance of his presence. I need to know and be reminded that I'm not alone. I need to hear those precious thoughts that he thinks about that are so numerous that you can't even count them with the grains of sand on the earth. An encounter that brings new life to Elijah. An encounter that brings boldness and courage back to do what God has called him to do. An encounter that he desperately needs to experience because he's at a point of being suicidal. I need life in me again. And I need to hear your voice. But I love that God challenges Elijah's perception of an encounter. And I think God's still doing that today. You know, encounters don't always come the way you think they're going to come. Man, I love the atmosphere we had in worship. I love even just watching our worship leaders really, I mean, they don't dance for you. They dance because they can't stand still when they praise God. I love that because it's not a show. It's not a performance. And that's wonderful. But somehow we've gotten ourselves to a point of thinking that we need to be in that kind of atmosphere to hear and experience the encounter with God. That's not necessarily true. It can happen. It has happened. Listen, Elijah's experience, he had three powerful demonstrations, right? A powerful windstorm, a mighty earthquake, a raging fire. 
Surely that's the presence of God. Right? And, then, and again, we, we limit the voice of God and the presence of God to experiential, not encountering. Experiential meaning if I didn't get the goosebumps, God wasn't in the room. If I didn't get that emotional feeling, or like my wife, if I didn't cry, my wife was always, if you don't cry, it's not real. I was like, what are you talking about? <clears throat> and as a matter of fact, that messed with me while I was in Israel because I didn't cry. And I thought to myself, is, is something, I'm in the Holy Land. I'm, I'm like walking the steps of Jesus. I'm in these moments. Why, why am I not crying? <laughs> like, it shouldn't, like I, I'm literally having communion at, at the tomb. I, I got baptized in the Jordan River. I didn't come out weeping. I'm like, why, why am I not crying? Am I not having an encounter with God? And the Lord reminded me. Each phenomenon tells us that the Lord was not in them. And it would have made sense to Elijah except for to expect God to show up in an extravagant way, right? He saw that blazing fire tear up the altar. And think about this. The mountain that Elijah's at right now, the Bible tells us was Mount Sinai. Well, what other encounter happened at Mount Sinai years before? Moses, after he takes the Israelites out of Egypt, goes up to Mount Sinai and receives the Ten Commandments. And listen to Moses' encounter. Exodus 19, verse 18 through 20. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln. And the whole mountain shook violently. So you got fire, you got earthquake. And the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder. Well, you can't blow a horn without wind. Moses spoke and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on the top of the mountain Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. It would have made sense to have that. But you know what? When God spoke like that to Moses, it's because he wanted all of Israel to see it. Sometimes God's not speaking to the whole congregation. Sometimes God's just speaking to you. And sometimes when he's speaking to you, it's with silence with their voices echoing in our ears, your voice talking you down, we feel like we need God to show up in a loud and powerful way in order to drown out the rest of the noises. God can do that and has spoken like that, but it's not what God does here. Pastor Jason, if you can help me out. I mentioned when I was in Israel that I didn't cry in any experiences except for one, and it was on the first day. Early in the morning, we got out and we got on a boat and we went out into the Sea of Galilee. And as we're on the Sea of Galilee, the speaker quotes this passage that we were reading in 1 Kings 19. And he says something interesting. He says, in Hebrew, this translation that we see in English of a still small voice was inaccurate. Oh, they love to tell you read your Bible in Hebrew. They're very proud of that. <laughs> You have to read it in Hebrew. I was like, okay, I don't, but I, sure. He says, there's something lost in the translation. Because when we read a still small voice, it's inaccurate to what the author meant. In Hebrew, it's actually an idiom or a phrase. And it's best translated as a sound of thin silence. That's what Elijah experienced. Now, on the surface, that doesn't make sense. Silence doesn't make a sound. 
But it's in the silence things are heard more clearly. Silence draws you in. When someone's speaking softly, what do you do? You turn your ear. Now, you don't read lips. You say, hey, I need to hear you. So I turn my ear. I remember even as a kid, when my parents would call me, I don't know if you grew up this way, my parents would call me in the living room, Joey! And every now and then, I would yell out, what? And guess what I would hear? Silence. You know what that silence meant? Get up and go over there. They weren't going to say anything. I knew, oh crap, all right. And I would come over, mande. And then they would speak to me. Sometimes God speaks in silence to draw you closer. Sometimes God speaks in silence to turn your ear. Silence clarifies your focus. Silence creates a greater awareness of what's going on. The reason I was able, or I got emotional, I should say, on the Sea of Galilee is because he asked everybody to just take a moment in the silence. Now, they had some music playing in the background. They like to cater to Christians. <laughs> but I remember just leaning over the bow of the boat, looking at the water that Jesus literally walked on and just embracing the silence. Actually, I got a little clip of that. If you can show it, just take a moment. Worship team, if you would hold on. You know what God said to me? This has nothing to do with the message, but I'll just, why I got emotional. I was looking at the Sea of Galilee and I was looking at the shore where the Galileans lived. I was thinking to myself, that's where Jesus called Peter. That's where Jesus called Andrew. That's where he turned fishermen into fishers of men. And then I looked at the other side where the Gentiles lived, where the Decathlon was, where he healed the demon-possessed man where Jesus told his disciples, we need to go to the other side. This is my personal thing. I just want to share with you what God spoke. God told me, I'm still calling my disciples to go to the other side. It just got me. The same mission he called Peter on, he's still calling us on. I wouldn't have heard that if I was listening to the guide. I wouldn't have heard that if I was listening to my own thoughts and my own doubts. I let it be quiet and I allow the Lord to speak. And you know what a beautiful thing about it is? The Lord didn't speak it audibly. I think the beauty of the silence is that it's not always audible when God speaks, but you know he's speaking. It's a confidence. It's a power of knowing. Right now in Osbury University in Kentucky, there's a spontaneous prayer meeting that is 
been going nonstop since Wednesday for 24 hours a day. You know what I love about that? It's young people with no fancy lights, no big names, no advertising. It's just people hungry for the presence of God who have responded to the sound of silence. You want to know how God's going to accomplish his will? Listen, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Then he said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. This is not by force, nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. We're not going to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish by being loud, by having just phenomenal preaching and phenomenal worship and really cool, you know, dinners for first-time visitors and all that stuff. It'll be by the strength of God as he enables us, as we listen to that still small voice and as we move in accordance to that voice. So I'm going to ask you to stand for just a moment. And I'm going to actually ask the worship team for just a moment. We're going to sing in a minute, but just no piano, no anything. I want to give you 30 seconds. 30 seconds to embrace what often we consider awkward silence. You don't have to fill the silence. Just 30 seconds. And see if God has something to say to you this morning. Something more than what I've said. Just bow your head and close your eyes and listen. Thank you, Father, that you're still speaking. That you don't need me to yell and shout and drum up emotion. You are powerful with your voice. It's the same voice that spoke the world into existence. It's the same voice that healed a father's daughter. It's the same voice that healed a Roman centurion servant. It's the same voice that speaks to dry bones and has them come back to life. It's the same voice that corrects their voices that have echoed in our hearts long enough. It's the same voice that shuts up our voice that speaks against the very thing you died for. So I ask you now, God, in the presence of your people, may our voice and their voice shrink and your voice rise. Help us, Lord, to be in tune with your voice. Lord, in the busyness of life and in the hurry of everything, to take time every day 
and turn our ear to you, God, to listen to what you have to say to us, to listen to your correction and to listen to your encouragement, to listen to your rebukes and to listen to your guidance. Lord, help us to be so in tune with your voice that even when other voices speak and even when our voice speaks, anything that is contrary to your voice, we would recognize that in an instant and we would take those things and bring them to you and submit them to your presence that you would be the filter of our heart and our mind that we would only hear and believe what you say, God that we would think about ourselves the way you think about us that your opinion would matter more than anyone else's opinion that we would love ourselves the way you love us first So, Father, we thank you for that. And, Lord, I pray specifically for those in this room who have really been hurt by some words in the past. Words that have become part of their identity. Lord, I pray that you remind them in you we're a new creation. It doesn't matter who we used to be, who someone says we were. What matters is who you say we are. Lord, I pray for those in this room who are struggling with depression, who are struggling with suicidal ideations, who have lost a loved one. Maybe they lost someone to suicide and it's really messing with them. It's really just burning in with them. Holy Spirit, even now, would you speak to that heart, God? Would you bring comfort to that soul, oh Lord? Would you walk them off the ledge and into your loving arms, God? Lord, I pray even now, that all voices would be silenced and that your voice would rise up in a thunderous way. That we would hear it with all the clarity necessary. And not just hear it, Lord, but that we would believe your voice. We believe your voice when it says, never will I leave you or forsake you. We believe your voice when it says that we are wonderfully made. We are a masterpiece. We are complex in nature. We believe your voice when it says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That we believe your voice when it says it is pleased with us. Oh, Father, let us believe your voice. And let us use your voice to filter every other voice that speaks. Father, we thank you for that. And we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Come on, if you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Listen, I want to encourage you. If you want to know the voice of the Lord, pick up your Bible and start to read what he thinks about you. Start to read what he said about you. Start to read how he feels about you. God has already laid it all out so that there is no confusion. There is no doubt. If you want to be able to differentiate between God's voice, their voice, and your voice, all you got to do is read the scriptures. All you got to do is study his word, and you will know his voice without a doubt. I want to challenge you, church. Pick up that book. Study it. Ask questions. Get involved. Ask people in the room here. Do not ever allow yourself to be confused between God's voice and another's voice because no one sounds like my God. Amen? God bless you. We love you.
Listen, if you're coming to the newcomer's lunch, please feel free to make your way over there. All we ask is that you don't leave your car parked here. We have another service. So if you're here for the newcomer's lunch, just take your car. We reserve the whole parking lot over there for you. If you're new here and you didn't sign up, you can still go. We'd love to meet you. God bless you, church. We'll see you on Wednesday.